Hello and welcome to the Kinetic Fitness Show, where we inspire you to live a longer, healthier, happy, and more joyful life. We cover everything you need to know to be optimally healthy in your mind, body, and spirit. Are you ready to become the ultimate version of yourself? Well, let's dive into another episode with your host and guide by your side, Allie West. Yo, 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 welcome to episode number 90 of the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast. Number 90, that is crazy, I can't believe it. We're only 10 episodes away from the big 100, from the century, from that 100th episode. I never thought, to be honest, that I would make even 50 episodes, so to be 10 off 100 is amazing, it's mind-blowing. I want to thank everyone that supported the show Uh, so far and if you are a brand new listener welcome because you're supporting the show by joining me for your first time but if you are a regular listener or a returning listener or a subscriber thank you so much for helping me to get to 90 episodes and we've only just begun really we're going to keep on trucking I've got some amazing episodes lined up for you over the next 10 before we get to the 100th I promise you that the 100th one is going to be the best episode it's going to be amazing it's going to be incredible but today's episode is going to be equally as incredible i recorded this one a few weeks ago i enjoyed recording it and we're going to talk all about quantifying your health but before we do that and before i introduce my guest there's a few bits that i want to mention a few announcements and then we will get right to it so the first one is i want to give a shout out to mudo health because this podcast today is brought to you by mudo health If you don't know what Mudo Health is, Mudo Health is a DNA testing company based here in the UK, but they supply DNA testing kits all over the world. So don't worry if you're not in the UK, you can get yourself a DNA testing kit pretty much wherever you are in the world. So how does it work? All you do is you order your DNA testing kit off of their website. I'm going to show you or tell you, sorry, how you can get a discount in just a few moments but you order the DNA kit off of their website it's sent out to you you unbox it there's a simple tube in it that you spit into you take a saliva sample then you put it in a, a sealed envelope send it back to them via post it's all safe secure hygienic all of that kind of stuff you send it back to them and then within a few weeks you will have a DNA report a full genetic breakdown of your DNA with instructions information help on how you can become healthier so this covers stuff like your athletic performance your susceptibility to certain diseases and ailments and what nutrition protocols you should be following as well there's over 90 plus reports on the Mudo Health DNA report this is all accessed in the palm of your hand on their amazing detailed app. There's so much information on the app, it is unreal. I had mine done a few months ago now and it's really, really helped me to optimize my health. So if you wanna get your hands on a DNA testing kit from Mudo Health, all you need to do is click the link in the description of this podcast. And when you get to check out, when you order your DNA kit, just put in the code ALDNA, that's A-L-D-N-A. ALDNA, A-L-D-N-A, and you will get yourself a 20% discount off your first DNA testing kit. You only need to do it once because your DNA never changes. So get it done, get yourself a discount, and learn about your health in more detail, which is the deepest level, your DNA never changes. You're born with it. Okay, that's that announcement. There's a few more announcements. The first thing is to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. 
Really, really simple. Hit that subscribe button and you'll be updated with all of my latest episodes. Secondly, if you are able to leave me a review, please do leave me a review. They help me out. They help me to grow, reach and inspire more people. And I also love reading them as well. So please do leave me a review. The third thing is to simply share this podcast with your friends, family, colleagues and loved ones. One of the best ways that you can share this podcast and more people can learn about it is through the power of social media. So just grab a screenshot of this episode, post it to your social media, tag me in it, Ali West Coach, A-L-I-W-E-S-T-C-O-A-C-H, or simply Ali West if it's on LinkedIn, and I will share it with my friends, followers, family as well. The podcast is now on YouTube, so if you would like to watch as well as listen to the interviews that I do, then you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just search for The Kinetic Fitness Show on YouTube. You will find it, hit subscribe, and then you can watch and listen to all of my podcast episodes. Please bear with me. I'm slowly but surely uploading them all to YouTube. So they will be up there eventually, but there's plenty of episodes to get you started on YouTube. The final thing to mention is our 12-week online coaching program. So I have a question for you. Would you love to drop 20 pounds of body fat, improve your relationship with food, and take control of your health in just 12 weeks? Well, if you would, we can coach you how to do exactly that. Our 12-week online coaching program covers everything you need to know to take you from where you are now to where you want to be. We focus on three key areas, mindset, nutrition, and exercise. This is all underpinned by coaching and accountability. So if you are ready to blast away body fat and take control of your health for good, all you need to do is hit the link in the description of this podcast to book a personal one-to-one Zoom call with me where I can learn more about you, your goals, and explain our program in more detail and ultimately see if we are a good fit for each other. Just click the link in the description, fill out the short application form and book your call as soon as you can because spaces are limited. I look forward to coaching you, inspiring you, and helping you. Right, on to today's episode. My guest today is Bob Troyer, aka Quantified Bob. Bob is a New York City-based technology entrepreneur, biohacker, and self-quantification geek. He's focused on the intersection of data-driven citizen science, health and wellness, human performance, longevity, and personal optimization. Bob's career in technology spans over two decades, from the earliest days of the World Wide Web through to the rise of online communities, social networks, and social media platforms, all the way to the emergence of consumer-facing health and wellness, AI, machine learning, mobile apps, and data privacy. Bob has appeared in numerous magazines, on television, and has been featured on some top-rated podcasts, including CBS News, PBS NewsHour, National Geographic Explorer, CBC, SBS TV, Fast Company, Men's Fitness, Outside Magazine, Ben Greenfield Fitness, The Lifestylist Podcast, The Muscle Intelligence Podcast, Extreme Health Radio, Quantified Body, and now The Kinetic Fitness Show. (laughs) I had to add that in on the end. Bob has given talks at a number of leading conferences, including Quantified Self, which is in the USA and Europe, Biohacker Summit in Helsinki, Finland. I know about that one from my good friend Lee Ewan. Health Optimization Summit in UK and the Superhuman Summit in Vancouver, Canada. 
What are you going to learn in this episode? In this episode, you will learn how Bob got started with quantifying his own health. You will learn why Bob tracks so much data and areas of his health, the benefits of quantifying your own health, the best ways to get started tracking and quantifying your health, the key areas of your health you should be measuring. You'll also learn the accuracy of certain wearable devices. You'll learn how genetic and DNA and epigenetic testing can help you and what it's all about. You'll also learn how your environment affects your health and how you can improve your environment to improve your overall well-being. The best free biohacks and the best paid for biohacks plus much, much more. So that's it really. Nothing else to be said other than to bring in the man himself, Quantified Bob. Let's do this. Episode 90 of the Kinetic Fitness Show with Bob Troyer, aka Quantified Bob. Let's do it. Hey, Bob, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? Doing great, Ali. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this chat and to picking your brain on all things data and biohacking and uh, seeing what we come up with. Sounds great. Before we get started and before we maybe dig into some deeper topics, could you just give myself and the listeners and the viewers a little bit of a backstory about you, who you are, what you do? And we'll go from there. Sure. My name is Bob, Bob Troya. Um, I'm a longtime technology entrepreneur, began my career as a software engineer and built some companies more in the digital marketing space. But I've always been into data and kind of uncovering insights about myself. Um, so as in this biohacking community, uh, a few years back, I started a blog just showing my own experiments and sharing some of my data called quantifiedbob.com. Uh, and so I, I kind of view biohacking as, you know, it's, it's all this premise about optimizing ourselves and whether it's our mind and our bodies, et cetera. But I like to apply data and insights to it. I like to see what things move the needle for me uh, or what things work better or worse or not at all. And it's been, you know, and I like sharing that with other people just because I think people have to understand that we're all individuals and what works for me may or may not work for you. It doesn't mean one's right or wrong. We just have to understand our individuality. Yeah, for sure. When did it all start then? What's the, what's the journey? When did you start really kind of analyzing your health and really biohacking and then gathering all of this data? What, what was the starting point? Well, the starting point was probably back when I was like a teenager. Uh, we didn't have the tools we have now, but I was doing a lot of sports and it was all about athletic performance and trying to you know, workouts and understanding what can gain, increase some strength. I was, a, I was a typical hard gainer, skinny teenager, and I was you know, doing American football, track and field, things like that. And, and I, I had to learn about things like nutrition. You had to go to the library and get those books because you didn't have the internet to get all that information and just experimenting with things. And it was, you know, as we fast forward to like, let's say 10 years ago, uh, there's a, there's a movement that started called the quantified self movement, uh, which their tagline is self-knowledge through data. And that started in the United States in the San Francisco Bay area. You may have heard of people like Tim Ferriss and for our body and all that. Well, there was a small group of people that were really just getting together to talk about learning about themselves. And it wasn't all about their bodies per se. It could be like tracking their location or relationships or how many miles they drive or things like that. And it, for me, it was like, it kind of was an aha moment because I had been doing a lot of this already on my own, tracking things in spreadsheets or notebooks, et cetera. And I kind of connected with this community. And if you take it a few years later, this biohacking movement then started where uh, people, well, from a number of reasons, 
the technologies improved that allowed us to even track more things about ourselves. We had things like lab testing or wearables and the community was touching on other areas. I mean, it was more focused on our body or mind, et cetera. But it, for me, it was a marriage of these two worlds. And I, I don't think everyone in one camp is in the other per se, but there's a lot of overlap. And that was like really the inspiration. That's where I started my blog. I, I was at a Quantify Self conference, I think it was 2011 or so. And, and I went back to the hotel room and that night I was like, I, I just needed a name for my website. I was like, yeah, quantifiedbob.com, it was available set it up, set up a cheap blog and wrote my first post. And, and that was really the beginning of it. And, you know, ever since then, um, it's just been, you know, it's been great just sharing this information because it often I, I get feedback from people that I've done something that maybe inspired them to try to replicate it. Or sometimes they've even improved on, you know, they'll take an experiment I did and added in some other variables or figured out ways to, uh, to do it better. Mm. And now you are quantified, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think I'm a real person, but that's where, uh, <laughs> it's, easier, it's probably easier to remember that than my real name, right? <laughs> so um, you, from, from the reading I've done and reading your blogs and listening to some of the podcasts you've been on, watching your videos, et cetera, you, you literally like quantify and measure and track so many different areas of, of your health and well-being and probably other areas of your, of your life as well that you track and measure. So I think the question for me is like, why do you track so much and why do you go into so much detail with, with the data? What's the, what's the reasoning behind it? Well, I mean, there's, there's a few different reasons. Um, the first is really just, just out of curiosity, learning about myself. I want to understand, just learn things about, uh, it's like to gain an insight that you got some data point that you go, huh, that's interesting. I never knew that about myself. And it could be something you're doing currently, or if you've got, if you've collected data in the past, I've got a whole, data warehouse that goes back, you know, 10 years or so, I can uncover insights later that be like, oh, that was an interesting, you know, piece of information. Other, you know, other folks will come at it from the standpoint of you are trying to optimize something very specific. So you might say like, I sleep, I sleep terribly, right? So you'll say, okay, let's figure out, um, first we'll figure out like, okay, we've verified you, you don't sleep well. Now, how, you know, we can try, try to set up experiments that will say what, which things may or may not help improve whatever aspects of my sleep. That could be another area that people go into. Um, and so like for me, originally it was all about athletic performance. And now as I've gotten older, it's really more into overall wellness, longevity, recovery, um, making sure that I, I can stay at peak performance for as long as possible. The, then the, the third reason people often come into this is they're trying to fix something else. Like um, they, they're, uh, they might say like uh, they've got a condition. A lot of people like for me, I had a point, you know, probably about eight or nine years ago where I was working out, I was running businesses, I was playing music and bands and, but I, inside I was just exhausted and I could, I, I thought I was doing everything right. And so it was all about trying to uncover what was the source of why, why was I feeling the way I did? And, you know, cause I knew something was off and other people often come at it with a condition. It could be gut dysbiosis or just energy or they've got brain fog. And so, um, that, you know, there's a lot of different reasons people go about it. So for me, first and foremost, it's just this innate curiosity about myself. And, um, it just, that's the way I am. That's my personality type. And I think when I met with like people in that quantified self movement, those people tend to share those same traits. They're just, they just have this curiosity. 
Yeah, makes sense. And tell me about then what this has allowed you to to do, like some of the benefits you've seen personally with your own health and well-being off the back of all this experimentation and the data that you've gathered. What are some of the like real big benefits that you've you've seen with your own health and well-being? Well, what I realized was as I would go deeper and deeper, um, let's say with you know energy and general health, it was as you start uncovering things and peeling back the layers of the onion, I was going from like, okay, why am I fatigued? Why am I having this brain fog to understanding like, well, think about the way you're, you're overtraining, you're not recovering. You've, you also have issues with your diet. You have uh, underlying conditions, like unresolved like infections, like may have had Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus. And you're, you're going deeper and deeper. And you're realizing that something that took you maybe a few decades to get to a certain state, you can't reverse it immediately. It's going to take time and you have to start, you know, and every day you, you, you start doing things or making these adjustments that make you feel better and better and you get to that point. So for me, it's kind of, it's not about one area, it's about the whole system. Cause I feel like when you start turning a knob in one area, it's going to affect things everywhere else. So, you know, I can sit there and be like, I want to put on a bunch of muscle, but I could potentially be overtrained. I could be affecting myself hormonally or other things in other areas. So, um, so for me, it was like really just trying to figure out ways to optimize uh, you know, the main things people go for is like, okay, generally like your general health body, let's say like your muscle mass, strength, uh, endurance, all that sort of athletic performance side. Then you've got sleep, which is super important because then that, then you've got stress, uh, which the average adult working in the real world is, is really dealing with those, those three things. Right. And, and you're trying to balance all of those. Um, so for me, it's, it's really just been understanding all that. But as I got deeper, I was really getting more into the science. I mean, I read tons of research papers and studies and looking at the data that I, you know, so when someone posts an article about some study, you have to really understand the context. It might've been in like 10 rats in some lab in some controlled condition. You're like, does that mean humans can take this and live for 500 years? <laughs> we won't know. And you could, you know, it's, it's cause we don't know for 500 years. Um, and so for me, it was building these layers. So when I first started tracking, it was very simple. Like maybe early wearables were something that can track activity, sleep, et cetera. And then you start building layers of um, other data points. So you're not always collecting everything all the time. So like now I've been doing a lot with glucose monitoring and tracking my blood sugar and understanding all my trends because actually type two diabetes is, a, is an issue that's worldwide. It's, it's, a, it's a largely lifestyle driven issue. But for me, it was also understanding like the effects of diet, exercise, sleep on that because that is a proxy to a lot of things. And, you know, there are times you want, you want these quick you know, spikes in blood sugar, but you, it's all about metabolic health now. And so I, I view this as like um, a key, like if I'm going to you know, start saying, okay, if I'm tracking a hundred things, if I only have to track a few things, what can we knock away that gets us a pretty good approximation of where we're at? Um, and that's, I mean, that's where we're going, right? We want this sort of check engine light that just says, you know, today you're, 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 you know, you need to take it easy. Um, you know, long-term, you know, you're going in this bad direction. We need to make these changes now, um, you know, versus something springs up on you in, in 20 years that you didn't know about. Um, but we, you know, and we've got all sorts of new devices and lab testing and things that are coming out now to let us understand. I mean, we could do a full genome sequence now with our entire, something that cost like a million dollars just a few years ago is now just a few hundred US dollars, which is pretty mm -hmm. amazing, you know? Yeah. Do you think then, Bob, that is best or would you recommend to people just to maybe take one area and start tracking one area and then start layering on top of that or maybe taking multiple 
sections of their health and, and doing them all at the same time? What, what do you think is the best route for most people? Yeah. Well, a common problem I see is, especially with the more driven people, the A types, they're like, okay, I want to get healthy. Tell me what I, tell me what I need to buy, what I need to use. I'll buy everything. Money's no object. And they buy all this equipment and they're tracking all this stuff, but they're like, and they don't use it. <laughs> well, it becomes overwhelming. They're like, I've got all this information, you know, and they're like, you know, they're going to be like, well, this thing's telling me I don't sleep well. I already knew that. <laughs> so, so I think for a lot of people, it's about starting very simple and not everyone's a data scientist. So you have to also keep that in mind. Like not everybody wants to go in and like really mine through the data. So a lot of the tools that are out there, they're starting to surface some insights for you. So like, you know, a lot of the wearables now it's more, it's less about the hardware that you're wearing on your wrist, whether it's like, the Aura Ring or the BioStrap or the Fitbit, it's more about they take that information and they can give you back some things that might say like, on a very simple level, it might be like, hey, if you adjust your sleep to, co to go to bed an hour earlier to see if that affects your quality of sleep or go for, you know, don't eat this late night meal because that's going to keep your metabolism elevated or someone else might have um, just other issues related to like stress or they're overtrained. So I think you can start very simple. And I think some, a lot of the popular wearables out there, just starting with one, um, just don't, just understand that you have to look at the trends, not like one data point, because there's a lot of user error. Like, like I have this aura ring, if I spin it around my finger at night, well, or if I, my arm falls asleep, you're gonna lose, the data is gonna be a little bit wrong. So you have to look at the context of that and not go, oh my God, I didn't sleep at all last night. You, you know, you have to just, cause people get obsessed looking at that data and then they start worrying. And mm -hmm. that's, but you have to, you know, and so they're worrying, but they have to understand the context of why they're worrying. Maybe if the data wasn't correct, then, you know, you, you have to be okay. And I, and I know for coaches, like some people just want a coach to say to them, you know, they want to be monitored or whatever and say, Hey, Bob, um, things are looking good. Keep it up. Or, you know, or say like, Hey, you know what? Um, try to, try to not, you know, have that extra, that last drink on Friday night. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably improve your sleep quality over the weekend. So yeah, I, mean, I think. God, sorry, sorry. No, I was I, say that. I, I, it's all about starting simple, like you were saying. It's yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what I, I'll tag on the end of that as well is that, and you kind of said it, but it's a lot of people track, don't they, and measure, but they don't act upon the the measurements. So they're getting this data and they're downloading it and they're looking at it, but then they don't make any kind of relevant changes or take any action to to work on that data. And then secondly, you mentioned it about almost getting obsessed with it, that it's, yes, it's good to look at the data and, and, and analyze it and, and have it as part of your life so you can work around that data, but don't get over o overly obsessed with it or overwhelmed with it because that can have sometimes a negative effect. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like I said, it depends on everyone's level of, you know, if someone's really just into the data and you're trying to like uncover insights, that's a very different sort of thing. Like, uh, then you're, you're saying, okay, uh, it's my, my data says I get no REM, you know, dream state sleep. Uh, I can't believe this. What do I have to do? What supplements do I have to take? What, you know, and I hear that a lot. And I tell people, let's not even look at this, the stages of sleep right now. Let's just look at what, you know, all the wearables will give you the same data in terms of what time did you fall asleep? What time did you wake up? And how many, this, how many times did you wake up during the night? So forget about the sleep stage stuff because between devices, it's going to be off pretty significantly. Um, cause we have like deep sleep, which is more restorative. You've got the sort of general light sleep and then you've got the dream state REM and you, you know, they're all important in different ways. And nobody has a, an agreement as to what's the optimal percentages and all that. Um, but I just tell people to start, like, let's just understand, even if you don't have a wearable, like you could just note the time you went to bed and what time you woke up and see, 
you know, what effect that has. But um, that's, that's almost like the simplest way of starting with something like that. You know, don't even look at the, the really detailed um, pieces of information. Just go, go by that. And you'll, you'll, it's interesting. And it might, the other thing is people will, the recommendations sometimes might not be something you agree with. And I've seen this, where like, if I told you, you should go to bed at 9 PM, <laughs> you're like, there's no way I can't, you know, it's like, I got, I'm, I'm still working or whatever. So, you know, you, there's also that, right. You could say, this is the best thing for you. And maybe life is in the way. And you're like, it's impossible. You know, someone may have children or other obligations. So what's the next best thing? Maybe I don't get, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I'm not going to get a 10 out of 10 benefit. I might get a nine out of 10 by getting, you know, splitting the difference. Um, and so people have to under figure out what they're willing to do. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's also like, I see a lot of this sort of people are in these different camps about like, it's black or white. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, I'm a carnivore, I'm keto. And I, I've always approached it just because my personal experience was back when I was having a lot of the original issues, my diet was what I thought was healthy. Like I was eating a very low fat diet. It was pretty, you know, fresh food, but I wasn't eating. I, I was like, fat was no good evil. And when you start looking at lab tests and you're like, well, your testosterone's tanked, your, your hormones are all over the place. And then once I rethought my diet, um, everything just sort of like energy took off, all those levels went up like big time. And so I think it's also about having a loose, like a, there's a saying like strong beliefs loosely held. And it's about having a, a belief system where I'm like, I'm totally willing to be challenged or challenge myself even. And, and if someone tells me like, this is, you're doing this wrong, or this is the better piece of information, I'm open to it. I'm like, I'm willing to hear anything anyone has to say. I'm like, just make the argument, prove, show me the data, show me, you know, why, why something is better or what I'm doing is not, not optimal. And so I'm like, I'm totally fine with that. It's not about ego. It's about really just having, you know, data driven <laughs> insights that allow you to adjust your belief system. Yeah. And finding out ultimately what works the best for the individual and best for you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, you look at something like diet where I switched you to largely what you call like a paleo or like a bulletproof diet like years ago. But then I realized over the years, like I had to make adjustments to it. Like my body actually, I, you know, I'm not, I'm low carb, but there's days where my body's like, you need to refeed. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat like a big massive carbs on certain days and, or, in, you know, in the evening or something like that. And my body just thrives with that. You know, there's other times where um, I've had to make adjustments to, to other areas where maybe, you know, the, the, the types of fats, you can't just eat ton, ton, ton of saturated fats. It was like, I had to sort of balance out like the, the sources and, and, and the quantities of all that. Um, it's and again, it's individualized and, you know, even things like adding in more seafood and those are things that I've, I've had to do. Mm, for sure. I want to just just touch on one more thing about the tracking and then I want to talk about the biohacking. But um, when it, in relation to maybe just tracking some baseline or some key areas of an individual's health for somebody listening to this, what would be some maybe like, I don't know, three, three to five good areas to start with uh, in terms of things they should be measuring? Sure. Well, I, I mean, we touched on sleep. I, I think even if you're just looking at the basics, it's having some idea. Um, even, even if it's just a lot, like kind of show you show back to you, like what's really happening. Cause I think people may think they sleep really well, or, you know, they're I go to bed eight hours a night and they realize like, we're only sleeping for four. They're actually tossing and turning all night or, you know, something. So I think for people just to have some self-awareness about that, maybe that will lead to some ha habit change. Um, that's, that's definitely one area. Uh, I think a lot of people have 
body composition scales at home, like a smart scale or something where, you know, even if it's not Wi-Fi connected, just something where, you know, weight's important and, and body composition on those scales, um, it, it's, it's highly variable. Like there's a lot of things that can affect those readings. So it's more about, again, about trends. Because I, even if the lines are zigzagging every day, you know, you're not going to lose 2% body fat in one day, but the readings might be off like that. But if you, if you take a trend line over a month or so, it's pretty, it's a pretty good approximation. Um, for people that are doing, you know, more like athletics and sports and things like that, we can look at heart rate variability, uh, which is a sign of, it's like your, it assesses your body's, um, yeah, it's readiness. Massive measurement, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's such, it, it, such a good measurement. I mean, it's it's becoming more and more prominent now, but it, it's a great indicator of of your overall health. Yeah, because it's a proxy. It's a it's a, it's basically showing your balance between being sympathetic and parasympathetic. So your rest and digest versus your fight or flight side, and it it can be used. They're using it now to sort of almost see predict onset of illness. Um, but you can also see when someone's overtrained. You can see days where like, hey, you're. It's looking really good today. Like you can go really go really hard on your workout today. So I do. I actually uh, take a measurement right when I wake up in the morning before I even get out of bed. Uh, I have a, a little device I put on my finger that just wires. It will send it to my phone to um, do a two minute reading, and then it'll kind of say like, "Here's where you're at." And if you trend that over time, it'll say certain days things could just be off. Um, you'll you'll know for sure. Like if you went out and had a few too many drinks the night before, you're going to see that number tank. And so low HRV is not good, but it's also about trends because it, it, if you're seeing like you're at a certain number all the time, now you have a baseline and you can see where you go really high out of it or low. And I guarantee you like doing things like breath work or, or meditation or um, things like sauna for me, like those are all things that just will boost up um, those levels uh, for, for me at least. And even just some light exercise, like just going out for like a long walk for some people is enough to um, have some positive benefits. Um, it's also reflects though, uh, it's physiological, so it's also psychological. Um, if someone's just stressed out, you're, you're going to see that in, the, in that data. Um, you'll notice, like I've noticed at least where I've gone out, and the next day I, I, I would have extremely high, my HRV would be like, wow, it really went up the day before. And I realized it was because I was out with friends, I was being social. And those social connections have such an effect on our, ourselves. We don't even realize it, but the data shows it. It shows that like your body just, just puts it into a, a much more parasympathetic state being around people you care about. So I would say, you know, HRV is a, is another key one. Um, you know, I, I think you know, with wearables, you're going to have, um, you're getting things like activity, like tracking steps, which, you know, it, it's fine. It's like a, it's a, it's an approximation of what you're doing, but like I find with some of the wearables, like if I'm, uh, you know, if you're running and tracking that, I mean, there's apps for all that too, like if you're going for workouts, but if you're doing strength training, the challenge is if I'm wearing like, a, I can't wear the ring while I'm like lifting a, a barbell. And, and so there's, so you, so you have to kind of log that manually. Um, but people who want to get a little more insight into what's happening with their bodies, I would say getting a, a glucose monitor, uh, it's a little more involved because you have to buy, they're inexpensive though. Uh, it's a little device that has these test strips that you insert and you prick your finger. It draws just a little drop of blood and you touch it to the, this is what diabetics use typically, but we can use it for ourselves just to understand where we're at. And you get and within a few seconds, you get a number. Um, and in the U S it's milligrams per deciliter. Everywhere else in the world is millimolars per liter. And you'll see people doing that with both glucose and ketones. 
And, and it's good to just have your baselines and understand where you're, you're at, but also the effects, like I mentioned earlier, of what happens with different foods you eat or, or exercise. The challenge is you can't do it, you can't track sleep with that because it requires you to manually prick your finger. But now we have continuous glucose monitors. They're, um, they look about, they're about that big and they go on the back of your arm. Yeah, yeah. And it's sampling data nonstop. Um, 24 7 and they usually last for about two weeks and what's great is it's it's passive it's just collecting all its information and so everything's has a value and a timestamp. so you can look at things like meals when you did workouts you know things like that and you can see what actually has a positive or negative effect on on those readings and i think it's just good in general for people to understand where they're at because maybe you're trending just like if you were to take your blood pressure and you're like hey i'm borderline um hyper uh, borderline hypertension uh there's there's things you can start doing now to reverse that you're not it's not like it's too late so i think some people that might think they're relatively healthy start wearing a continuous glucose monitor and they start seeing like whoa i'm my levels are actually not near where they need to be um and even the guidelines that you see posted about optimal levels um the longevity community will has even more restrictive <laughs> levels where you're like that's like the optimal optimal um you know place to be so I, I mean, that's something where like, you don't have to do that all the time. I, I, you know, checking your glucose you can do pretty, you know, just do it for a week, let's say, and put it down. Or if you have a continuous glucose monitor, that's just, it's a two week uh, sensor. And then, you know, try it again in six months or a year. And, um, you know, th those are just some areas. Um, like I said, there's all sorts of devices that allow us to track things, right? And do we need to track all it all every, every day? Probably, probably not. Um, I've got sent, I've got things in my home that measure air quality continuously. I've got things in my home. I could, you know, whether it's like smart thermometers, uh, we mentioned smart scales, uh, blood pressure cuffs. Um, there, there were devices that you can wear that it's like a belt that goes around your waist that is tracking your posture all day. And so it'll nudge you if like, if you're, if you're hunching over, it'll give you a little buzz and you gotta sit back up and do that. So, um, it's just a matter of, you know, what, what are we really trying to track here? And, and with lab testing, obviously that just requires a little more effort because it's either going to be your, you either have to go to a facility to do the, the blood draw, or sometimes you can, there's things you can mail in, um, whether it's blood or saliva, stool, et cetera. So, um, but we can get additional insights about ourselves. And, um, but I would say those are, those are some key ones that anyone can start tracking today. Yeah, with the blood glucose monitor, is there a particular brand or make that you recommend? Uh, well, the, the, the regular one, the non-continuous one is, um, I use a precision extra. It's, uh, I think that one's by the Abbott maybe makes that one, but in the U S there might be a different name in Europe, but, uh, there's also a company called keto mojo that makes, uh, and so I like these, the, the precision extra and the keto mojo because I like those because they, they do, they've, they accept both glucose and ketone strips. So you can do both measurements with them. And for continuous glucose monitors, I use a, a device called the uh, um, Freestyle Libra. And, and I believe in Europe, you can get them, or at least it used to be, you can get them in Europe over the counter without a prescription. In the United States, you have to get a doctor prescription in order to get them. Uh, so, but I don't think everyone has to go right to the continuous glucose monitor. I mean, some doctors are actually liking it because now I can, they can remote monitor now and, and look at people. But I think for people who are just like looking at, you know, behavior, you can, you can take a single data point, like eat a meal, take one, you know, before the meal, take one 30 minutes later, an hour later, an hour and a half later. And you've got, 
you can like compare foods to each other and meals to each other. Um, but yeah, those are the popular ones that, that you see out there. And um, on the relation to the, some of the wearable tech, what have you found in terms of accuracy? Like how accurate are these? I bet it's probably a question you get asked quite a lot, but how, are the, how accurate are these wearables? So stuff like Fitbit, Aura, Whoop, et cetera, how, how, how accurate are they? Well, I mean, it, it all comes down to two things. One is, are the claims they, the companies are making about the accuracy compared to gold standards. So if you're a device that tracks sleep, you know, unless you compare it to a, a sleep lab study where they basically said, we have the actual sleep lab gold standard data, we compare it to what our subjects did when they came in here, what's, what's the accuracy? Um, I, you know, I would say they're generally, pretty good. I think sleep tracking is the toughest one, especially sleep stage tracking. I think that's the area the, they're just the most inaccurate. I just, I'm not, I mean, when I say inaccurate, I'm not saying you're getting bad data, but it's like, let's call it 65% accurate. I'm going to throw a number out there. I might be wrong, but I know it's not hundred percent accurate or 95% accurate. And so we have to look at our accuracy versus precision. So if, as long as something, so like, let's take steps. I have two, three devices on that will all track my steps and I get completely different values every day from them, right? But if you look at them and you, you trend them over time, they're off by the same amount every day. So if I, if I increase my steps by 20%, they're all going to reflect that. So is that, that to me is really important. That's the important number is that um, the trends are, are consistent. Um, I, I do find things correlate like, um, like the Oura Ring and the BioStrap both track HRV while you're sleeping overnight because these signals can be very noisy if you're moving and when you're sleeping, since you're not really hopefully not tossing and turning a lot, they can, they can get a, try to extract the HRV signal off the finger or wrist. And they tend to, those devices are pretty close in terms of what the, the numbers are for that. Um, for sleep though, the, I, I think the best devices for sleep tracking are gonna be EEG based. You got, um, typically you wear a thing, it goes over your head, has a little oh, yeah. sensor, so the EEG is actually measuring brain activity. Uh, you feel like a muse headband, but there's one of the oldest sleep trackers was called the Zio. And it's unfortunate because that was a great device um, that you wore it around your, uh, for, put it on your, like a headband, had a little sensor. And it would, because um, it looked at EEG signals, it could determine like different, it's like brain activity will tell it what, what sleep state you're in. Um, there's a, now a device called Dream, I think a Dream headband that's doing, it's using that similar technology. Uh, obviously, the challenge is you're trading off the better accuracy of EEG with potentially more discomfort wearing it. So that may actually then negatively impact. So you're getting more accurate data, but you're having worse sleep quality. Yeah. I'm not saying one or the other. Um, but I do think, you know, with a lot of these devices too, as they get more users and more data, the algorithms will improve. So like even something like a Fitbit, even though it's only it's looking at sleep data just using an accelerometer and heart rate, it doesn't have a temperature sensor, it can't figure out when the body's dropping temperature, but they have such a massive data that they can they can train that and use machine learning, et cetera, to like pull out a lot of um, insights. And and that's the other thing, is like these devices are all using different sorts of sensors and different ways to track sleep, whether it's you know uh, a combination of movement and skin temperature and, and heart rate versus uh, just movement or just, you know, have fewer sensors or um, like the bio strap can actually measure blood oxygen saturation. That's another thing we can talk about too, because I think especially given what's going on in the world right now, 
with symptoms of, of COVID and things, like you're seeing it, when people are having dropping blood oxygen saturation, and I think having a pulse oximeter at home, that's another inexpensive device that anyone could start tracking with, um, which, you know, I, I use that pretty, pretty regularly. Cause I, sometimes I'm actually using, using it while I train cause I'm trying to get myself to go from, uh, like super oxygenated states down to like super hypoxic and actually mm -hmm. want, I'm training my body to drop and then come back up really fast. Um, so yeah, but in terms of accuracy, um, you know, a lot of these companies I'm, I'm, I'm always asking for the studies, you know, and they'll say they, they compare it to gold standards, but unless it's third party, it's, it just costs money, you know, for these companies to, for someone to do a third party study, there's been some in some university labs where they've done like a meta analysis or they, you know, either looked at other devices or they try to do their own. I, I heard about a couple of people that are in the process of putting together similar studies where they're going to go into a sleep lab and bring a bunch of devices with them and see how it all maps out. But again, yeah. there's device accuracy, which means is the device are the sensors and the algorithms accurate versus did, did I put this on too loose? Does it backwards? Did I, you know, did my arm fall asleep overnight so it can't get any blood's not circulating in my finger? So you, you have to keep in mind that there's never going to be a perfect, I don't think there's a perfect tracker. Like, yeah, that's why we're, I, I'm wearing multiple ones right now. It's because I like a second and third opinion and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to understand like, well, this, you know, maybe one is good at certain things and the other one's better at certain things. And, you know, if it, I don't want to wear all this stuff. Like at some point I wish it was invisible. You put like a little patch on my arm and call it a day and, you know, records all the information. Yeah, I guess that it goes back to what you said earlier is it's just about looking at the trends and looking at the the data over time rather than just saying, oh my God, it's off one one day or two days. It's I've not slept very well or whatever the case may be is looking at those those trends and and using the same, maybe the same device and and getting that uh, data over time is, is really, really important. There's a, one thing I wanted to ask you about when you, you briefly touched on it, which was about... Um, like lab testing and, and, and stuff like that. So um, where do you stand on stuff like um, getting your DNA tested and your genetics and maybe epigenetics as well? What's your viewpoints on that? And have you had it done? <laughs> yeah, I've done it all. Um, so if we start with genetics, um, you know, the early companies that were out there, like we had companies in the US like 23andMe, which weren't doing a full genome sequence. It was a partial analysis, but they were marrying that with, research to kind of surface risk factors, et cetera. Um, so like for me, that was one of the earliest uh, examples of where I took some information. So when I started glucose tracking was because I had a, uh, it said I had an elevated risk for type two diabetes genetically. Uh, so, so I, so I was like, well, wait, elevated risk, but it's highly preventable. Um, so I was like, let me start understanding it. And this is, you know, probably eight, eight years ago. Um, you know, whereas it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It just means like, and, and also like everyone's at high risk because the world, the percentage of people in the world who have type 2 diabetes is so high that everyone's already at like an elevated risk. Um, so you just have to understand that. But uh, I think I went um, about a year ago, I found the first company, the company that was offering a uh, full genome sequence. So we're talking about like, and for me to get the data, they have to ship me a disc, like a hard drive, because it's like wow. terabytes of data because we went from like small, you know, what 23andMe does to like the full genome sequence, which means they don't even know, like it's a full genome sequence, but there's a lot of stuff in there that you can't, like there's nothing to analyze yet. Like you're still figuring out what like a lot, of, a lot of these things are. So I would say, you know, for people that 
want to get, I mean, the thing is once you've get that genome sequence, it's like, you've got the full sequence. I, you know, there are other elements you can latch on. You touched on like epigenetics and, and that, that type of analysis where they're actually looking now at part like pieces on the DNA that are these like methyl groups and, and that sort of thing. But I, I, uh, I think for some people, it's, it's a vanity, uh, not, not the genetic side, but when you get into things like biological age and the epigenetic stuff, they tell you, you're, you know, you're, you're this old, but you're, you're, you're chronologically this old, but you're biologically this old, whether it's telomere testing or these other things. Um, it's largely a vanity metric because these companies, they're based on some research, probably relatively small sample sizes still, because we don't really know. And people just like to be able, you know, they know it touches in people's vanity. Like they want to be able to brag, like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, 40 years old and I am, it says I'm a 24 year old. Like, you know, I, I get it. Um, but I don't think the whole body ages at one way, one rate. And that's, so some of these epigenetic tests now are actually the research that's built on shows that different tissues, you know, you might have the brain and the health of a, of a 20 year old, but your cardiovascular systems like a 70 year old, you know? So I think understanding those pieces and not just putting it into one number, um, are important, but, I think having the genetics, I mean, as, as this is where like all the machine learning and AI are coming into play where, you know, they're, they're mining through like areas of the genome trying to figure out like what's a predictor or what's a risk factor. Cause your, your, you know, genetics, once you get it, once you have it sequenced, like it doesn't change your, your, that's what you're That's a, that's the blueprint you're given. And yeah. then the epigenetics, you know, epigenetics are more like, okay, the effects of the environment is about your genetic expression just because something says like, you've got these things that say you're going to have this disease. They don't necessarily, they're not turned on. It, you might have these genes, right? So people have to understand that like expression of our genes isn't what, and you, and those are things you can affect, right? From lifestyle and all that genes turn on off. And uh, even though you, you have, you're, you might be given like a bad blueprint. Um, it doesn't mean you're destined for necessarily bad things. There's definitely certain conditions that genetically like will create a, you know, birth defect and things like that. But, um, but to say someone has a higher risk for, let's say, type two diabetes, you know, that, that could be, through, you know, just because they've analyzed people through other studies that had certain SNPs that expressed in certain ways. And, um, but yeah, so I, so I think genetic testing and epigenetic testing are, are going to be, you know, more and more important. I mean, we're seeing people try to use that data to tailor like um, nutrition, exercise, like, um, like one of the things you can easily pull out of a genetic test is, are, do you have a sprinter's gene, right? Are you fast twitch, slow twitch? Um, yeah. I ha so I happen to have one of each. So there's two different main, like, um, ones they look at. And like, if you're an Olympic sprinter, you probably have these two, two of the fast twitch ones. Um, if you're a bodybuilder or someone, you probably, or someone has a different sort of physique, you probably have two of the slow twitch ones. And then, um, I have one in one which totally makes sense because I, the sports I've played where I've excelled, I've excelled in like track and field, you know, as a sprinter jumper, um, wasn't the fastest, but I had really good endurance and I play soccer football. Um, and I, I have a good balance. Like I have good endurance and speed, both. It's like a, yeah. so I'm not the fastest guy, but I can keep up for the longest period of, you know, running up and down the, up and down the pitch. Um, so you kind of, you kind of learn that, you know, those, you get, the, those are things that can tell you about people or certain diet, like, your body might respond certain ways to saturated fat that, you know, and, and I, that's one of the, I've used that to my, to adjust some of my diet, you know, just understanding, like, I can't just put tons of butter in my coffee every day and just, um, you know, I eat a little bit, but then I have to balance it out with other um, types of fats or, um, or, 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 or different ratios of, of carbohydrates, et cetera. So 
Um, yeah, so you can do all sorts of things with that data. And that's why you're seeing these other companies come out that will provide um, services on top of that once you have that data. Yeah, yeah. I just recently had my DNA tested with a, a company here in the UK. They're called Mudo Health. And uh, you get like 100 plus reports off of your saliva sample. And I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I already knew, but there was some stuff that really stood out to me that I didn't know. And it's allowed me to maybe make little tweaks to my nutrition, to my training, uh, to my recovery. And I think if you do want to go to that deeper level, there's plenty of tests out there now that can take things to a, a deeper level and you can really dive in deep and become optimally healthy on maybe like a cellular level or a mitochondrial level uh, if you want to do that. But um, what I've also found with the more testing I've done and the more measuring, probably the same as you, is you do start to see like patterns and trends like, oh, this test told me this, but this one did as well. So it's, it's interesting to to do that and, and get that level of detail if, if you so wish to do so. Yeah. And especially like a genetic test, cause you already know what the, like that data is the same. It's not like there's two things reading the data at two different times. So they should, if there's a report that says, you know, you've got this whatever fast twitch gene, let's say they should both have the same result because it's the same DNA. Your DNA is not changing. Um, you know, that's one area, but, but with epigenetics, which, what's cool about that is it can show you like your, your existing burden of like uh, exposure to air pollution, cigarette smoke, alcohol consumption, like it's how it's built up in your body over time and how it's actually created oxidative stress and damage. And we talked about mitochondrial health. I, I do think that's where you're going to get an extra layer of, um, cause that's those, that's going to give you something that you can adjust over time. So if you yeah. took uh, an epigenetic test and it says, you know, these things are okay, these things, you know, are, are off and you make some changes six months to a year later you retest you might realize look you've lowered your burden of oxidative stress your um your secondhand smoke or maybe someone was a smoker um or alcohol exposure etc um will you know will have a positive or negative effect on on them yeah i mean i think that the whole mitochondrial health is a is a huge thing and i, th I think it's a where a lot of people are going um especially when it comes to longevity as well um the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Bob, was in relation to environment. So you've, again, touched on it briefly, but I've seen you speak and, and read a few of your blogs about the environment. Um, so can you just like touch on what role the environment plays on our health and well-being and maybe some simple kind of tips people can do to improve their environment, to improve their, their well-being? Sure. I, I think what we find, especially in the biohacking community, is everyone's like focusing on their bodies and whether it's what I, food I put in or water I'm drinking, and, 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 but they're not really paying attention to the environment, meaning like, let's just take an example, like air quality, and especially like whether it's the city they live in or, or, their, or within their home, because you might, we have different environments inside our home than we do outside, you know, so you might have chemicals or cleaners under your sink in the, in the kitchen or the cleaning area or furniture that's off gassing and, and that stuff can all create, um, create issues. So I, you know, we even talk about things like EMFs and, you know, you hear about like 5G and all that, but let's just talk about what's happening in your home. So you can have bad wiring. Um, you could have, uh, devices and tools and and things in your home that are just creating this stress, these stressors on the body. And there's tools that can measure all these things. So there's meters to measure, Kind of you can go to your home and kind of just check where areas that maybe are high. I would say start in your bedroom because the bedroom is kind of like you're going to spend a third of your life there. Um, so if you're going to optimize anything, 
you want to optimize your, your bedroom should be like the <laughs> the best, safest, cleanest place like in the world. So we're talking about air quality, meaning um, not just like adjusting for sleep and, you know, dialing temperature and humidity and all that, but like whether you've got particles in the air, like dust or if you have pets and dander and all that or mold or um, just, just any kind of chemicals and um, even just having proper airflow. You may close the door in your bedroom and have the windows closed in your bedroom and also the oxygen levels will drop overnight, which will affect your sleep. Um, so making sure you've just got that, that all dialed in, um, you know, we, we talk about water quality. Um, you know, if someone's drinking mineral spring water, that's, you know, it's probably a great place to start, but in our homes, even if someone's like, look, I don't drink water out of my, my kitchen, um, faucet tap water, but, but the shower uses the same water line. So if you're not filtering the water in your shower, your body's still absorbing all the same chemicals and everything that yeah. you to drink it. So you have to understand like um, like where you're being exposed to those things and like putting a filter in your shower is like a super inexpensive um, kind of, you know, optimization trick that, um, you know, will, will basically give your, you know, take rip all a lot of the chemicals out that are, that are in there. Um, but, you know, around the, but around air quality and the environment, um, you know, again, I, I, I chose to live, like I live in New York city and yeah, it's not, you know, it's probably like not the best air quality and, and has issues, but, I, because I made a decision to live here, I said, well, I'm going to optimize the areas I can, you know, I can, yeah. I can do that. But even if I'm going to, if I can't optimize New York's environment, because <laughs> it's New York city, it's the air is what it is. Um, I even have like a personal air quality monitor that I can clip onto like a bag or, or carry it myself. And so what's been interesting was I, if I go around, let's say you go for, you run, you might want to pick a route that minimizes the exposure to car exhaust to other things. So don't run by busy, busy roads. And you'll see, like I happen to live near like a river. So they air, like there's a lot more airflow. And so you actually see the quality in those areas is just much better than just being like closer to a highway or certain, you know, it's pretty, should be pretty obvious, but, um, but you can use that to like just make your decisions in terms of where and how you exercise or time of day. Yeah. So what do you use maybe in your home to, to like clean the air? Do you use plants or do you use like a dehumidifier or air purifier or what kind of, or is it all of the above? <laughs> um, so I, I have a few um, portable air filters. They're like HEPA based filters, but they also sterilize. Um, so I can just um, basically they, you kick them on and within like 20 minutes to a half an hour, it'll, it'll basically filter through all the air and pull out the main stuff um about once i have a i have an ozone generator that i will um and you really don't want to be breathing in like ozone it's gonna it's very irritating to like the eyes and nose so what i would do like for example my bedroom maybe like once a month i'll run it's a little ozone generator you basically has a little stone that you bubble into water and then the ozone comes out into the air i'll run that in a room i'll close the door let it run for a few hours and then I'll open all the windows, let everything vent out. And like the room will smell like uh, kind of after a thunderstorm that like clean, crisp smell. But um, it's more of like a sterilization, you know, if you, if it's preventing mold, things like that. Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just even my, um, I, like you probably see like these air units that we had installed. So those have the filters in there. You can actually, the ones that come with it are a certain diameter. You can replace those with a, um, even finer one to help trap even smaller particles. And you can also, in, in, um, they have small UV ultraviolet lights now you can put inside of these 
um, devices that, so now you're also, as the air is being circulated through, you're actually hitting things with ultraviolet light, which is a, a sterilization um, tool as well. So um, a lot of it for me is just kind of using those tools, um, you know, and, and getting outside, you know, trying to get as much fresh air as possible. So we were talking earlier before the before this about, you know, exercising outdoors and, you know, just finding finding those places like I, you know, I, it's the summertime here still uh, right now. And so I, I go to the beach as much as I can, um, just try to get, get out in nature a little bit, get out of the city when I can. Um, but I, I do think, you know, just really making sure your home, you know, is, is really optimized for, for that. Because if you can't control the, the world outside of you, try to make your home, every, you know, as, as good as it can be. Yeah. And I think it's a good point that you mentioned about like maybe the filter on the on the shower and the fact that not all of these hacks or these pieces of technology are super expensive. There are, they are inexpensive hacks and optimizations that we can make to our home and to our environment that don't have to cost the earth, which is going to lead me on to maybe probably my final uh, question. Cause I'm conscious of time. And uh, if I had to ask you, Bob, maybe like three, if you could only choose three biohacks that were free, for the rest of your life, what would they be? And then three biohacks that actually cost money for the rest of your life, what would they be? I know that's quite a difficult question, but give well, it a shot. <laughs> sure. uh, well, the free would be, um, I'd have to start with the sun, <laughs> sunlight, ocean, um, there's two of them. And um, I would probably say, uh, you know, yeah, Ocean, sun, fresh water. Those are like, I mean, honestly, I know that sounds really, you know, whatever, but <laughs> I, I just think if we're in nature, I mean, a lot of this biohacking stuff is all just about, we're, we're trying to replace what we lost from nature, living in a modern, modern world. Um, and so, you know, I would say those are, you know, things. And then, I mean, money wise, I mean, I think a lot of people like, yeah, there's definitely some things, there are tools out there that are very expensive, but I mean, some things aren't, I mean, you, you can do things on a, on a cheaper level. Like you can buy a very expensive sauna, <laughs> but you can make, you can make one that's okay for just a few, you know, I made one for like a hundred US dollars, 150 US dollars in my home, but I can go to like a, so I would say if I was, you know, to buy things, I would say like, a, I would love to have a, some a sauna, whether it's a infrared sauna, it's like a full size one that's been out, super outfitted, um, cold, uh, you know, cold plunge, something like that. Um, Cause I, I love going from hot to cold, hot to cold. Um, those are definitely things. Um, you know, if, if I was to buy, I mean, I'm trying to think like, what's like, there's nothing that's like, there's a lot of really expensive stuff out there, but I don't think it, you have to spend like a hundred thousand dollars on an led red light bed. You can get light panels and things for just a few hundred dollars. And you know, it's, it's there. Those are great as well. Um, you know, I do, I have a, an oxygen training set up at home. It costs, you know, it's a few thousand dollars um, that I use all the time. I have a device called the Nano V that yeah. you breathe in this um, basically water. It's like a humidified air that's been treated with a signal that's helping your body just, just dump um, oxidative stress. Um, so there's, you know, those are tools I use every day. Uh, there's, there, there's pulse electromagnetic field therapy, PEMF. Um, where it's used, largely used for recovery. It's basically you're in this magnetic field that uh, the coils that you'll put on your body and it basically you'll feel it kind of working on muscles or parts of your body. And 
there's smaller devices that are just a few hundred dollars that I've found. Like I've had injuries where I've sprained an ankle and I put these coils on it and within, you know, 20, well, the swelling basically resolved after 24 hours. And after 48 hours, I was walking again where I would have normally been out for five, six days. And yeah. um, so I have a lot, you know, a lot of times these tools that you're not, it's good to have them around when you need them um, versus things that you have to use every day. And I mean, we were just talking about, cause we're, we're in this, you know, kind of lockdown period still, um, you know, gyms are opening. We were saying earlier, like, but I, I think when I was working out at home, I was having to find alternative ways of doing some of the training where I didn't have access to some of the tools and equipment and, and those, and those tools, I was still having good, good results. And I was finding relatively inexpensive ways to do things with body weight training and banded work and all that. So I, I think, you know, biohacking doesn't have to be, you know, there's certain equipment that yes, you may have to go to a facility. Like I'm not going to put a cryotherapy chamber in my home. Like it's just, there's no point in doing that for me, but if there's a place in my neighborhood I can go to and it costs me whatever, you know, $60 to go do a session or a float tank, let's say I'll, I'll do that. Um, you know, it's because even if I do it a thousand times, it, it's still cheaper than me having the device at home and more people yeah. can use it. So I think um, you have to also decide, decide like, you know, what's, what's something you want to have that you're willing to front the money for at home versus, just, um, you know, finding a facility or a place where uh, you can have access to it, something that you wouldn't just want to buy yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. You, I mean, you're not the first biohacker to come on the show. I've probably had like five or six other guys that are in air quotes biohackers on the show. And most of you have all said the same or similar stuff that like some of the best biohacks are the, are the free ones and the ones that are natural. So I love yeah, that. I mean, just even breath work. I mean, use your breath. I mean, that's, that's a, you can do some crazy things. Like I've had some crazy experiences just breathing. <laughs> oh, same, same. Yeah, we, we, I, I had um, Patrick McKeown on the show yesterday, who's the Oxygen Advantage guy. Um, yep. He came on the show yesterday and we was just talked all, all breath work and everything relation to that. So, I mean, the breath is, is super powerful and that's a, it's a whole other topic. <laughs> totally. Well, Bob, I've loved that, mate. I really appreciate you taking your time out and uh, I learned a lot and I know the listeners are going to as well. There's just a couple of things to, to wrap it up. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and get, get your information? Sure. The best place to go is quantifiedbob.com. That's my website, blog. That's where I share a lot of my sort of adventures in the space and a lot of my longer form write-ups about experiments. I would, um, also, if you go on Instagram, quantifiedbob or Twitter, quantifiedbob, or you can even connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look up uh, Bob Troya and happy to connect there. Perfect. And I should have warned you about this. I didn't pre-warn you, but we always end my show with a favorite quote. So I'll put you on the spot here, but can you just finish the show with a quote, maybe one of your own or something that you live by to, to finish things off? Oh, let's say, what would be an appropriate one? Well, I, I think we were talking a lot about optimization and, and, and everything kind of leading around stress and, you know, minimizing that or resolving it. So I, just, I think um, for me, it's that whole don't sweat the small stuff. Love <laughs> um, it. I just, I just, you have to decide like what people were, cause we're, we're living in very tense times and I think, you know, it's, it's already stressful. And so I have, you have to be, learn how to just sort of push things that aren't important aside. It's like that. Don't let it all just burden you down. It's not healthy. So for me, it's like I save my willpower. I save all my. I save that for the really important things and and the little things. If someone someone makes fun of me or you know insults me, I'm 
why should I get worked up about that? Like, exactly. Know. Great way to live. All right. That's it for, for this one, mate. I, I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the success for the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. That's a wrap on another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast episode with your friends, family, and colleagues. Until next time, peace and love.